Good morning. Uh, if you will open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, as we've already read this morning. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to kind of uh, pitch our tent and camp out right here in Colossians chapter 1. We're just going to work through this text. My, my goal is to work through the book of Colossians uh, and to, to, to preach through it. Um, if you're not already familiar with Colossians, uh, you're going to have a blast. <laughs> this, is, this book is such a, a treat, and it, it, is, it is one of my favorites, I, uh, especially chapter 3. <laughs> we'll get there, uh, and it, it, is, it is a beautiful chapter. And all of Colossians really kind of finds the center of the, the spider web in Colossians chapter 3. That's where a lot of ideas and a lot of themes are really brought together and, and, and brought home. Uh, so I encourage you to, to, to give Colossians chapter 3 a read through on your own and just kind of work through it uh, at, at home and, and spend some time in there and, and learn to really just, just enjoy it. Um, I don't want to say that Colossians is underrated because uh, I, technically every book in the Bible is, is underrated. But um, that Colossians especially the first chapter, uh, is, is not referenced a whole lot in, as far as famous Bible verses goes. Um, in chapter 2, you have the, the, the description of being raised with Christ and, 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 and being bought with his blood, being redeemed, having the certificate of debt nailed to the cross. That one is, is, is repeated fairly often, and even, even some in chapter 3. But I, I was never really familiar with Colossians growing up. That wasn't something that, that was ever taught super often. But as I've grown to look at this book, I've come to the conclusion that, that this is a challenging book. It's not challenging in the way that it's, it's hard to understand. It's not like, like Romans or it's not, it's not like Revelation in fact, some, some of the challenge comes from it being so easy to understand. It is very straightforward. Some of that comes from the fact that there, there are no direct Old Testament quotations in Colossians. I think that's an interesting fact. Why that is, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the church at Colossae was not made up of, of very many Jews or any Jews or people who had access to Scripture. But there are no direct... Old Testament quotations, and, and Colossians, a lot of the times, as we'll grow to learn, it is going to dig into your heart. It is going to challenge the fundamentals of what is at your very core. I think we need that. We need sometimes to be challenged on what we think we are confident on. We need to reassess a uh, big theme in Colossians is hope. That's something we're going to be looking at in chapter 1. Hope, the gospel, who Christ is. Do we know who Jesus is? These are things that are going to be addressed in Colossians. And, and I think we need to go back and we need to see how that fits into our daily lives. Alright, let's begin reading the first section of Colossians chapter 1. Verse 1. 
Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This book starts off just like any other epistle that Paul writes. (laughs) Who he is... He is an apostle by the authority of the Lord. He wishes grace and peace from God the Father. And we find out in verse 2 who these recipients are. The saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. Where is Colossae? (laughs) Colossae is not mentioned in Acts as being one of the cities that that Paul ever went through. but Colossae is in Asia, uh, not, not like, like China and Taiwan, Asia, but like, like, like modern day Turkey, right? The, the, the churches like Laodicea and, and even Ephesus, um, those were in that area. Um, and so you can do a little bit of digging into, into historian research and, and apparently Colossae was, was a... Uh, once a very rich city and, and once very, very beautiful, very opulent. It was a trade city, a merchant city. Uh, they, they, they rested on the side of this river that, that cargo and ships would go through and then they would, they would basically make their living off of all of the, the business that would go through that. So I think it's interesting noting that. Uh, maybe as we work through the book, you can notice when, when Paul makes mention of greed and, and, and of riches and of treasure, uh, there might be some, some connections that are being made to the Colossian Christians and their day-to-day lives being focused around that. Uh, some people think that, that, that Colossae... Um, 
that the Christians there first had the gospel preached to them by Epaphras. We kind of hear it uh, in, in verse 7 there, just as you learned it from Epaphras, it being the gospel referenced in verse 5. Uh, you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant. Uh, and then in chapter 2, uh, in verse 1, he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face. Uh, some people take that to mean that, that the, the Colossian Christians had not seen Paul. Uh, however, that, that verse doesn't necessarily mean that. He could be saying everybody else, all other Christians. Um, so there's a wide ver varying uh, range of, of, of who uh, might have taken the gospel uh, to the Christians. I think there's enough reason to believe that it was Epaphras and that Paul had not been to Colossians, had, had not been to Colossae himself. Uh, that in mind... We can also kind of see that in the contents of this letter. I mean, they are the fundamentals. Who Christ is, what baptism is, what happens when you're baptized, what is the hope, how are you supposed to act. The, the, the basics are, are in Colossians. So we learn that, that Epaphras has given Paul a report The first thing that Paul mentions in verse 4. Well, first off, he says he gives thanks to God, uh, praying for them. He says in verse 4, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Paul deals with the good first, as he does a lot of times in his letters, right? He mentions two specific things that these Colossian Christians have. Faith in Christ Jesus and the love which they have for all the saints. I want to I draw some attention to that word, all the saints. <laughs> because that's going to be brought up later on in chapter 3. If you see verse 11, uh, talking about being redeemed in Christ, you have been renewed he says in verse 11 of chapter 3, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jews, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. That word all is going to pop up again and again, especially in reference to Christ. Uh, I think that's something to notice. But, but, but what Paul is saying is that you guys have a love for all the saints. I think that's, that's a lesson that we can drive home from that. Not just some of the saints. Not just the ones who you can easily understand. Not just the ones that you get along with. Not just the ones you grew up with. But you love all the saints. And then he ties that home uh, in, in verse 8 where he mentions their love again. In verse 8, Epaphras informed them or him, of their love in the Spirit. What does that mean, in the Spirit? I believe it means love produced from the Spirit. 
their common bond is the reason that they have that love for them. The reason that they are able to love each other. They are united in the spirit. Going back to verses 4 and 5 though. Why do they have faith in Christ Jesus? And why do they have love for all the saints? Verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. I I want you to think for a second. How much of your daily life does hope affect Um, luckily humans are are hardwired to live according to our hope right I mean when's the last time you you hoped to buy a car but then you failed to save money for it or if you failed to, uh, to to drive to the dealership to get the car. When's the last time? <laughs> I mean, when's the last time you were expecting company? You, you, you were hoping to have company over, and yet uh, you, you, you didn't make the beds, you didn't clean house, you didn't sweep the floor, you didn't... You, you ordered food, but only for one person. No. If you expect something, and you joyfully anticipate something then your actions are going to reflect that. That's what he's saying. In verse 3, the faith that you have in Christ, the love which you have for all the saints, that is because you are living according to your hope. Having hope demands a change in your life. I think we need to, to, to recognize that and then to challenge ourselves and to see inconsistencies in our life where the way we're living doesn't reflect the hope that we have. We have to live true to our hope. That's, a, I think, a big point in Colossians. One that, again, is going to be driven home in chapter 3. Live true to your hope. What is this hope? That hope, first off, where they learn from it, is in the word of truth, the gospel. Okay. The gospel, the good news, Jesus. In verse 6, which has come to you, just as in all the world also, constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. The gospel is called the word of truth in verse 5 and the grace of God in verse 6. Hearing it and understanding it honestly does two things. It bears fruit And it increases. What fruit does it bear? And what does it increase? 
That's the next question, right? Verse 9, Paul tells them that he prays something for them, specifically. He says, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why does he want knowledge of God's will for them? In verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit and increasing the work of the gospel in them. Paul wants that to happen even more for the Colossians. It's not something that stops at a certain point. Bearing fruit, increasing, always growing. Always working to understand who God is. To learn about his nature, who he is. And then to bear fruit, to put that into practice. To live according to your understanding of who God is. That's the prayer for these Christians. And the goal is that they will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What a goal. What does it mean to walk worthy of something? I was taught a work ethic by my dad. And while I was on somebody's payroll, I was not going to be sitting around. If dad saw me kind of dragging my feet a little bit and, you know, just kind of meandering around and maybe I'll get some work done but not really feeling enthusiastic about it, he would pull me to the side. He'd tell me, do you know that people have put trust in you. They are, they are giving you a wage in order to, to do the job that, that you are being paid to do. Work worthy of that wage. Don't cheat them by being lazy. Walking worthy of something demands that you understand the worth of what you are walking according to. In this case, we need to understand the worth of the Lord and what he did for us. In verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, 
and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. In order to present you before him, holy and blameless, beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Uh, this is, this is a, <laughs> a, a description of who Jesus is. His heavenly identity. Who he really is. And we already talked a little bit this morning in class about him being the image of the invisible God. Right? In, in Deuteronomy, God said, don't make an idol, don't make an image that resembles me because I haven't given you anything to copy down, to, to paint or to carve. God hasn't shown himself in any physical way to mankind. And then God chose to break that rule for Jesus. He comes down as a man. And he dwells in bodily form. The image of the invisible God. Wow. The second uh, description of his identity. He is the firstborn of all creation. Um, this, this doesn't mean that he was, he was, he was born in the fact that, that he was created. That God created Jesus in some way. We know from, from John 1 that, that Jesus has always been, and he has been with the Father. Instead, there's this idea of firstborn in the Bible that you can trace through uh, all throughout the Bible where, where firstborn is, is, is the idea of, of being first. In authority over and, and the inheritance, the birthright idea, Right? Jesus is, is the first. He is preeminent over all creation. It is all his by right. And that is mirrored by verse 18. Jesus is described as the firstborn from something else. He is the firstborn from the dead. A title he gained from his resurrection. Not only is Christ preeminent, first, and in ownership over all created things, over all living, but through his resurrection, he has been made preeminent over the dead as well. That is why it says at the end of verse 18, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body and the church. What is the point being made here? In Deuteronomy and in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 2, there are times where either God or a holy man of God would call heaven and earth to witness 
what God is speaking to his people. That's kind of weird. The reason he does that, I believe, is because heaven and earth, all creation, bends to his will. When is the last time that creation has decided that it wasn't going to submit to God? That it wasn't going to obey him? I can't think of a time. All creation listens to God, except for man. That's the point he's making. If in verse 17, everything works according to the commandment of Jesus, ought it not be the same for the church? His body. Christ is the head of the body. All of this, all of this greatness. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. Blood was shed on that cross and it was the the blood of this king. Let's take a look back at verse 10. How do we walk in a manner worthy of that? I mean, there is so much time that you can sink into exploring this this declaration of Jesus' identity. There is so much to it. And he, he, he gave himself to die for us. And the exhortation is walk in a manner worthy of that. Understand who Jesus is. And live according to that. And that is the gospel. Jesus' identity, who he is, and what he did for us. That is the gospel. Paul says in verse 23 that it has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And of which I, Paul, was made a minister. And then continuing down in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And of this church I was made a minister, according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, the mystery of which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Hmm. Paul was made an apostle, a preacher of this great gospel. And he says it's something worth suffering for. He did his share of suffering. And, and the, the, the widely held conclusion is that Paul did write this letter while he was in prison. He says this word, this gospel is worth suffering for. He would happily do it. And he describes the gospel. Such a beautiful description in 26 and 27. He calls it a mystery. Which has been hidden from past ages and generations. And because, because God had not chosen to reveal Jesus. Throughout all of, of the Old Testament. He gave glimpses. But not even the prophets knew. They made careful searches and inquiries. But, but not even the prophets knew who Jesus was. When he would come. But now. It has been manifested. Manifested means made known. Literally to strike with the hand. Like your parent. If you're dozing off in, 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 in class. Swat you on the back of the head. <laughs> yeah manifested, made plainly clear. That is Jesus. He made known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ has come to dwell within us. He is our hope. He is our glory. And Paul's mission in verse 28 is to proclaim Jesus. To what end? What is the goal? What is the hope of this proclaiming Jesus? Of, of teaching about Jesus. Admonishing people with all wisdom. All of this hard work. All of this suffering and being in prison. What is the hope of all of that? Paul says, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Some versions might say perfect in Christ. Completeness is not found anywhere else than in Christ. It is not gained any other way than in the plain teaching and proclamation of Christ. looking forward to working through the rest of Colossians with you guys and, and, and picking up on all these, these themes and, and really appreciating this book and the, the patterns that it lays out. Um, I encourage you guys to read it on your own and to look into it and, and take notes and, and, and uh, think of questions. You know, Let the Bible surprise you. It will. 
I think a lot of times we get into this mode where we read and then we kind of zone out and we just like, yeah, that sounds like the Bible. Sounds like the Bible. <laughs> Without really reading with fresh eyes in order to see what God is saying. What are the principles he's saying? Does, does it surprise you? To read these things. The invitation of Colossians is clear. Are you living true to your hope? Do you claim that Christ has made you complete while you are not completely in Christ? If you would like to become part of Christ, to be in Him, to be complete in Him, uh, then we, we invite you to, to come forward as we stand and sing this invitation song.